A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and wangwan, everybody. Thank you for listening to The DNA Airwaves. Today's episode is brought to you by The DNA Project, your entertainment agency. Please visit thednaproject.ca for more details. It's also brought to you by The MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studio. Check out the-mpl.com to learn more. Today's guest is Juno Award-winning composer and producer Eddie Bullen. Eddie has been in the game for over 40 years, and with that much experience comes a wealth of knowledge and stories. We cover everything from his early days in music to the migration he made to Toronto. We also got to talk about the dueling piano shows he does with his son Quincy and the special relationship that they have as two accomplished musicians in Canada. It was a wonderful conversation that I personally had a great time being a part of, and I hope you guys enjoy it. This is the DNA Airwaves. So how are you today? Excellent. Yeah? Excellent. Thank you so much for coming in today, man. I can't believe you came all the way from Markham to talk with us. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, the brother's called, so <laughs> I am... <laughs> much love. I'll drive to Timbuktu, my friend. Well, great. Yeah, that means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. noted. Anthony, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm alive and happy to be here. Grateful. Yes, Matt, sir. you good? I'm great. Yeah. Things are starting to, to happen again. People are making songs again. Yeah. People are recording. That's right. We're getting used to this COVID thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Speaking of recording, one man who's recorded probably more than all of us combined times 10. Times 10. Is the, is the great the Eddie Bullet. How are you, man? I mean... I, I can't believe how many albums I know you've personally worked on, but if there's anyone that knows about Canadian music, it's got to be you. Well, I, you know, I guess you hang around long enough, you know, <laughs> <The cute laughs> your friends and family and people throw you a bone and uh, I've, I've been fortunate to... Get plenty of bones. <laughs> yeah, get plenty of bones. I think I was just in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Constantly, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah that's so. part of it, right? That's part of life. It's oh, the right yeah. place, right time. Oh, yeah. Well, how many albums are we talking about? Do you um, have the exact number? I, I did. I do. I, and actually, the reason that that happened is, and I'll preface it Thank by you. this, is that mm. the reason that that happened is I was doing a record. And I was doing she, uh, Keisha Wint's record, mm-hmm. okay. and she had her son at the time, who was a young, young, young man, and he was in the studio doing his homework. And he came into the studio, and I, I stuck some of the CDs up on the wall, and he was walking around, and and we didn't realize, but he was counting all the oh, the albums uh, on the wall. Uh, wow. And the reason that I put the albums on the wall is sometimes, depending on the uh, the genre, I'll do interviews, and depending on the genre, I can't remember which album would fit the genre of the interview that, I, I've, that I've done, I'm doing. Yeah. 
So I put the records on the wall so that sometimes I can stand in front there and say, well, yes, I worked on this record and I worked on that record. If I'm doing, like, I interview with somebody in Jamaica, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's reggae, it's like I I could see what albums I've done. If I'm doing calypso stuff, I can see what I, if I'm R and B gospel, I, I can it I can recall. Yeah. Wow. And he turned around and said, "Mommy, there's a hundred. And I was like, <laughs> "What?" I, because it it looked like it, you know just on the wall it looked like about fifty albums. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he said a hundred. So the next day I'm like, I gotta figure this out. Records have been done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I did, I started documenting. I'm even calling artists, and you know, I'm I'm like, how many records did I do for you? And and they'll say, well, you know, we've done, you know, ten albums. And I'm wow. like, holy shit, okay, cool. <laughs> but today there's 220. Oh wow! wow. I was wow. gonna say 160. <laughs> wow, that's you know uh, I mean? wow. I figure I should retire. No, I don't. <laughs> You're just getting started. Yeah, that's you know? that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it freaked me out because I I again, you know, when you you know, you, you're just working. You have your head down and you're just working and you have your family to feed. You have wife, car, sons, yeah. and everybody's pulling at you. Dad, yeah. I want. My dad, my name is dad. Can I or dad, I want. <laughs> <laughs> you're just working and just trying just to pay the bills and yeah. just, you know, you're not paying. I'm not paying attention to, yeah. to the records. So that oh, makes sense. Folks. Well, that's incredible. Do you remember the very first one? I do. Yeah. I do. And I do have that album. I was. 18 years old when I produced my first record. Well, which album, sorry? It was, it was, and I was, at the time, I, I didn't immigrate to Canada yet. I was living in Grenada and I was, um, I was playing with a band who played in the hotels oh. and um, the lead singer of the band wanted to do an album and he asked me to produce it. And it's, uh, the album is called, actually, it's called The Spice Islanders and mm, okay. it's a, uh, the rent name of the record is Roosevelt Johnson and the Spice Islanders. I still have that one copy of that album. That's and I look at it wow. from time to time. Wow. What year was that? That was nineteen seventy eight, I think. Okay, wow. Nineteen seventy eight. Wow. Before all of our time. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. So, I mean, I, you know, I I love I knew exactly what I wanted to do at that that age. Since I was like fourteen, fifteen years, I know. This, this is what I wanted to do. You know, before producing was fashionable, you know, everybody's a producer. You know? yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like I knew that that's, that was my, my thing. I loved sound. I loved creating sound. I mean, one of the things too is that my dad was also a musician. Right. So, you know, I'd sit in the corner and hear the stories that, you know, the tra- he's traveled, he's recorded for Decca. And, you know, all his friends would come over and they'd talk about the old days when they, play and they travel yeah. and you know yeah and and that was very intriguing to me and then they'll talk about the records the records that shaped their trajectory the records that mm-hmm. made them um you know want to play music so then i listened to those records because my dad had those records right and to compound that even more is that my dad had a had, he had he had the only a music store on the island oh wow so i'm surrounded with everything guitars bass pianos drums everything yeah and what'll happen is um a lot of times um musicians who've who from uh, who have uh, you know grenadian roots would travel all around the world and they they all know my dad so when they visit their parents or their brothers and sisters they would come into the store because you're a musician yeah, you want to yeah. you want to you know go to the music store yeah, for sure. yeah and my dad would see them and he said okay jam session 
Oh. He's called up his friends. He goes, listen, I'm closing the shop. We're having a jam session. And oh, wow. he'd bring out, and then that's like all the traffic and cars, and we'd have these jam sessions. Wow. You know? And from from even like the tourist ships that would come in, and the musicians would come off the tourist ships and look for the music store. Right. And yeah. here we go. Yeah. We have a jam session again. Wow. So my dad would always, you know, so music was his was his thing, you know what I mean? So um so I was a I was also a piano repair. I I, <laughs> I can repair pianos, I can tune pianos. Wow. I just wow. had to do that. Now you know my dad was pretty adamant that I I learned. So I repair basses, drums, right, like anything. Yeah. You know, we sold it, broke, we had to repair it. Right, right. You know right, what I mean? Right. I mean we we repaired pipe organs, <laughs> electric organs. That's not anything on the island. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, we had all of those things. And my dad had a, and, and I actually started playing um, organ. And my dad had a, a Hammond B3 with three Leslies. Mm, wow. Right? That's that speaker we were talking about. Yeah, the spins. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so that's kind of really what I cut my teeth on. My favorite instrument. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I sort of migrated to piano after that. But I mean, I still play. I have, I have a. Uh, Leslie and an and organ in my house. So, can I ask, nice. what do you mean by three Leslies? Three Leslie. Like, wh- how do you position them? Well, he had them one, two, three organs here. Three Leslies. Can I ask a silly question? Because I don't, I don't know. But why would you need three? Just out of curiosity. Why? Just more volume. Okay. Power. Yeah. You know what Power. I mean? Okay. You also get a weird stereo. So a Leslie speaker is a speaker that spins mm-hmm. at different speeds, and it gives you kind of like a wom, 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 wom mm-hmm. effect. And if you have multiples to your left and to your right, then you get this sort of shaky feeling from right. Yeah. That's really cool. I've never heard of that. That's a brilliant. Yeah. Idea. And the reason, and actually, that the reason for that is, um, and he was the agent for Hammond as well too. So oh, all, okay. all these, like all the the. The um, export, all the, all those guys, the, the agents would come to to the island. They'd travel to the island just to meet the the dealers, the, um, the, the salesperson, right, right, yeah, the music yeah. store, right. Yeah. So, but what happened is there was a guy from from Yugoslavia who was an organ player on one of the ships, okay. and he was finish his his um, his tour of duty. Yeah, yeah, tour of duty, <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to sell the organ, so he had. Really, he was on the ship, and the reason that he had three Leslies is because he was pushed, positioning them, you know, in different spots, really, in different room, spots, yeah. right, right. And um, you know, it was a thing that my he wanted to sell it, and my dad said, definitely. Yeah. So he was on the ship, so he just sold it, and he just moved it off the ship. <laughs> my dad didn't have to; he, he didn't have to order it. He didn't have to wow. pay freight and yeah. duty and everything like that. Probably got a good price too, right? He got Incredible. it at a good price. Yeah. The guy wanted to just. Got get rid of it, yeah. Because I guess when he goes back to Yugoslavia, it's like, well, what am I going to do with three Leslie's? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? They're big too. They're like they're bigger than they're yeah. like two, three mini fridges. We oh, used to yeah, see yeah. them at churches all the time. Oh yeah, I was yeah, telling yeah. Matt yesterday specifically, like I would marvel at the one I would see at Rochester. It would mm-hmm. had a big organ and this big giant Leslie. And I never knew what it was until like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and you know all those the 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 switches and you know you switch them on it. So yeah. I, I mean, there was, the, you know, several organists would come and play that thing and it'd just be wilding out, man. That shit was wow. so loud, you know, and, f- and they, they'd get off the, the, the organ and I'd get on and I'd, you know, as a kid, just try to, to mimic them, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then there, there was a family, actually a Canadian family who saw me as a kid and they, 
you know, they, th they thought I was, I had a little potential. So they were snowbirds. And mm. uh, uh, one year they came back and they brought a stack of Jimmy Smith, who is, I don't know if you guys know who Jimmy Smith is. Jimmy Smith is the ultimate organ, jazz organ player. That, mm. like, you know, you look in, in the, you know, in, in the encyclopedia on the, Organ player and That's Jimmy it. Smith That's is it. Guy. Everybody followed Jimmy Smith. He right. was like the George Benson of guitar. Like mm -hmm. Jimmy Smith with you. Gotcha. So they brought me all these Jimmy Smith albums, man, and I, it was it was crazy. So I listened to the record, and you know you hear the walking bass like for the jazz organs. You hear all these guys walking bass. Yeah, yeah. they're bass pedals. So I thought that they use their feet. So I'm using both my feet walking. Oh, gosh. On it. <laughs> but they use their left hand. Yeah. I, I know. You, you know what I mean? I listened yeah. to the record. So what were you doing with your left hand at that time? I was just playing chords with my left hand. Oh, I just didn't, you were adding something extra. Yeah, I, mm. I just didn't, I, it just didn't make sense to me as a kid. Yeah. Trying to, I listened to it and I'm like, okay, because what was happening too is that they were playing with a band, right? Right. Yeah. So you're hearing a guitar, Mm -hmm. Bass, right? Drums, organ, yeah, right. There's no bass player; is playing bass. But I'm assuming that, you know, he's playing bass with his feet because there's the bass, bass clavier. Yeah. So I did that and until a, an organ player came over, came and saw me and was freaking out and was like, "This kid is like, what is he doing? Playing your walking bass with his feet?" And I'm like, yeah, it's not what you guys do. He goes, no, we just play with It's <laughs> so much easier. That's when I figured it out. Wow. You know, so, you, you know, sometimes what you don't know and you try, you just come up with That something. reminds me of uh, Jimi Hendrix. A lot of his style had to do with listening to Les Paul recordings. Yeah. Not understanding that Les Paul, who technically invented multi-tracking, was actually, it was multiple takes of Les Paul at the same time. Uh. And Jimi Hendrix was like, this is one guy. <laughs> And he just kind of learned, that's kind of how shredding was invented. It's funny how technology can do that. Yeah, wow. it's actually the same thing with Oscar Peterson. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oscar Peterson's dad gave him a record. Yeah. And it was a, a piano player by the name of Art Tatum. Mm. Art Tatum is almost blind. Mm. But when you hear Art Tatum play, you think it's two people. Right, Like right. this one guy just can't do this. So Oscar Peterson's dad worked on the railway. So he gave him the record, yeah. went away for a week and came back and... and you know, said, you know, do you listen to that thing? And he goes, yeah, it's two piano players. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. <laughs> two piano players. And, and, and his dad said, no, 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 that's one guy. And Oscar said, there's no way. And Oscar, <laughs> he, he, I mean, he always told the story. He said he didn't play the piano for about a week oh, because it's like, there's no way I could Can't be this guy. Yeah. Wow. So the, the reason that he's so amazing is because he listened to Art Tatum right. and tried to copy Art Tatum. Mm. So when Oscar plays, it's like, he, like... It's it's like two people. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I think that was one of wow. the things that happened to me with my bass pedals. That's incredible. Yeah, that's like, do you still do stuff like that, or you started playing with your left hand? I started playing with my left hand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If we go back to when you were a child, do you remember some of the music that kind of shaped your love and led you down the path towards producing and ultimately picking? Besides Jimmy Smith, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. There's some albums that are paradigm shifting moments in my life. Mm. One of them is a flautist by the name of Hubert Laws. Okay. Not quite sure if you guys know Hubert no, Laws. Sorry. But Hubert Laws Ooh. is the most amazing flautist. Wow. Um, and um, he has a record called Romeo and Juliet. And he was the first guy uh, I heard do circular breathing. I don't know if you've heard of circular, right? 
So he does circular breathing like it's like... So like those of you that don't know, can I explain what yes. it is? So it's you fill up your cheeks with air and then you exhale and then you fill up your cheeks as well and you keep exhaling the air in your cheeks while you inhale from your nose. So basically you can play a, a note continuously without ever taking a breath. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, that's a good yeah. So just think of a, mm. a, a person who's playing a flute and it just... It goes, you no breath. He's just playing. Yeah. Just continuous. He's plays on a cool. flute. Yeah. I never heard of that working on a flute. Flutes take a lot of air. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. A lot of air. And this guy does this on a dime. And every wow. flute player is, he's sort of, the, again, the George Benson. If you're playing flute and Hubert Laws walks in the room, you stop. Where's mm -hmm. Hubert from? Hubert is a, uh, he's from the United, United States. Okay. Okay. Right? Wow. And, um, like I mean, he's a he's one of those guys who is a, a classical player. He plays with orchestras, and he also is a jazz player. So mm -hmm. he plays. You know, it's like there are fair few people who could do that. Like Wynton Marcellus is that. True. Uh, yeah. He's that. Um, you know, Oscar Peterson's that. They can they can do both of them right. really well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Hubert Lars's Romeo and Juliet. That that record was like a staple for me. Uh, George Benson, um, Breezing. That was another record mm -hmm. that was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oscar Peterson has an album called We Take Requests. That's just an amazing record that this was, you know. Um, yeah. uh, Bob James had a record called uh, Head, and that was that was amazing. Um, a lot of Bob James albums. Those were, anyway, those are the ones that really um, shaped me. And there's, there's one from a, uh, <clears throat> a gentleman who really pushed the envelope on Calypso Jazz, um, a guy called Clive, Clive Zander. Okay. Right. So he he created a whole. So so because I'm I'm from the Caribbean, I I gravitate to Caribbean jazz or calypso jazz. Right. So I I you know some of those things I put on my CD. Yeah. So um sure. yeah, Clive Zander was very instrumental. Clive and another guy by the name of Raph Robinson, who was very instrumental in my understanding of the whole how Calypso jazz works. Um, um, and um, also Clive has a son who is a piano player as well too. And for years he was the piano player for Adele. So when you, if you see Adele, you oh, see okay. the oh, piano yeah. player. Right. That, that was my, you know. He's Clive's son? Friend. Yeah, Clive, uh, not Clive, but uh, Raph, Raph Robinson. Okay. His son, his name is Miles Robinson. Oh. Gotcha, okay. So... Yeah, so wow. you look at the Grammys, you look at all those things. Yeah, he's all over the place. Yeah, he's now. also... So, you know, again, he sort of grew up around me and Raph. And yeah, yeah. Not you. I want to know, how did you kind of transition from being the organ uh, as your first instrument, your first love, to piano? What was the well, process? I think one of the things is that... There's, um, you know, when you travel, you go to somebody's home or you, you hang out at a bar, there's not an organ. There's no organ there. So, Fair, yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and and playing an organ is totally it's a different uh, approach and a different technique. Very, yeah. Right? Playing organ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like organ players are not great piano players and and some piano players are not great organ players, yeah, right? It's hard it, to find it, you got to be playing the both of them to really switch your your technique right yeah, you know yeah, what i mean right um so because with an organ there's there's no uh sustain you have to hold your keys down before you let go the other ones yeah. where a piano player can just play yeah staccato and it it, it works right you yeah, know what yeah. i mean so um I, I you know i'd go to somebody's home and, and i'd struggle to play the piano because mm. 
There's no bass pedals. I yeah, can't. I yeah. can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So playing a piano, no, I'm. I have to play. I have to play bass, play the chords, and play the melody at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I had to figure that out because I was struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying, trying to kind of transition. So I um, I just decided I I got to I got to try this because I I sound terrible playing the piano. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so, determination. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just determination. And I and I love I liked a lot of piano players, you know what I mean? And and I just started kind of trying to to play, you know, play piano. And play solo piano. That's a really challenging to thing to do. You know what I mean? To for example, sit on a piano and play for an hour, just right. solo piano. True, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And and not have it be just ballads. You know, I can you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you could play solo piano, but you you can't play anything really fast and make it sound great. So there's a thing called stride piano. I'm not quite sure if you, do you know what that is. Do you is. want to explain yeah. it to the audience or in myself? Yeah, stride piano is <laughs> where your left hand is playing the bass. Yeah. So you play the bass and then you 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 quickly move your hands up and play the chord. So you, you're going back, take, right? right? Okay. And yeah. then your this hand's playing the melody. So that is really challenging. Sounds challenging. Right? Yeah. It's very challenging mm. to, to do because what you're doing is you're playing, you're being the whole band. You know, you're having a rhythm going, which is sort of the drums, and then you have bass and right, yeah. chords, and then you're playing the melody and soloing on top of that. So, um, and then it's a bit of a dying um, art right now. Have you, you know? tried doing that with? Also pedals. Is that a fourth thing? Yeah, no, I've never tried that. <laughs> Break some record. Now yeah. that you're in quarantine. Yeah, yeah I know true. there's there are a couple of people who've done that, you know, where cool. they put yeah. the, the piano and they have a small bass um unit mm. and they'll play the bass. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, like I I mean I've I've kinda worked hard on sort of stride piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Whoa. you know, I I like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I guess how did you end up coming moving to Canada? Um, well, <laughs> my, I, I'll just preface it that my dad had the music store and he was really keen on me taking over the, the music store and right. running the music store. But I think I hung around with way too much of his friends and listened to all those crazy musician stories. <laughs> and I didn't want to have anything to do with the business. I didn't want to repair any pianos. I didn't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I just, nah. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to travel. I wanted to hang out. I want to have musician stories. And I love it. <laughs> right. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So um, my mom, who immigrated to Canada because of my sister, my sister suffered from a disease called sickle cell anemia. Right. Mm. And so she came Tough. to Canada for treatment. And oh, my mom sort of moved here. You know, they, they decided that my sister would come here and, and study. I mean, and, and, you know, live and get treatment. Yeah. And my mom was here, and um, eventually my my dad and my mom separated because, you know, that became an issue. Yeah. And um, um, my mom asked if I wanted to come to Canada, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I, what made you want to come so badly? I just wanted to come. I wanted to get out. I mean, I've, I'm living in a in a in, on an island with 100,000 people, and I'm mm. playing at the hotels, and I want to see George Benson. Right. I want to see. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm 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 a musician, man. Yeah, and I want to see Oscar Peterson, and I I, I just want to travel. I, yeah, you know, I, I want to go on the road. Yeah, you know, you hear musicians talk about road. I'm I'm like I want to go on the road, man. 
So when she said that, when she offered, I, I was like, I, I want to go. My dad was not happy, my friend. Oh, man. Because well, he didn't have no, anyone no. to help him with the business anymore? Yeah, I, he yeah. was not happy. Yeah. He was not happy. He was very unhappy that I was leaving. But as a kid, you really don't care. Yeah, yeah. opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah. it's an opportunity, yeah. man. I'm, I'm coming. I want to get out of here. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to experience the world. Wow. So uh, my mom um, sponsored me, and my, actually my brother as well, and and we immigrated to to Canada. And I, I mean, I remember landing and calling my friend the very next day, and I'm like, I have enough money. I want to buy a Rhodes. And he took me to Long McQuaid, and the roads were way too expensive. I couldn't afford it. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then we started looking in the papers and found, I, well, I found one. Yeah. And I called him up. I found one because he wasn't moving fast enough for me. And I found <laughs> it. And we, he said, we went to look at it, and the roads, roads were so raggedy. I wanted to buy it anyway, but the roads were so raggedy. He says, no, no, but no. But you knew how to fix it. Yeah, I knew how to <laughs> fix oh, it. But he, he didn't allow me to buy it. And then oh. we found one that was really good, and, and I bought it. And then I went and bought a synthesizer. And What did you get? I got a Poly 6, oh. Cog Poly 6. Okay. You know, I, I mean, I had a lot of synths. I had the Oberheim. I had a Cog Poly 6. Um, what else did I have? Yeah, I had all kinds of synths. A Mini Moog, like all those synths. Mm, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and the week after, I'm on the road, man. Really? I was on the road and my first gig was in Sonia. A week after landing in Canada? A week after landing yeah. in Canada. Wow. That's I got incredible. a gig. A friend of mine, again, a keyboard player by the name of Kingsley Etienne. He's an organ player. And he always, he lived here for, for years and he'd always get gigs. Mm. And he called me up and he goes, you know, this guy, his name is Robert E. Lee. He has a gig. Do you want to take it? I'm like, yeah. Wow. Right. Robert E. Lee was performing. Yeah, that's yes, that's what his name. Robert Who's Robert Ely for the audience? I, was, I thought he was a Confederate general. <laughs> oh, definitely not him. No, <laughs> yeah. took another gig after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, and I, I I left, and I mean, I remember the guys picked me up in a van, and we we're driving to Sonia. <laughs> on on our way to Sonia, the, the weirdest thing happened. They were putting together a set list, and this is a sort of blues rock act. Right, that I'm, okay, yeah. that I'm playing with, yeah? yeah, yeah. And um, the singer wasn't with us; it was just the band. Um, and I'm driving, and they're putting a set list together. And they got to a point, and they go, "I think we should do some. We should do cocaine." <laughs> Whoa! And I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you wanted musician stories, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? At least you were driving. Yeah. And I was like, "Yo, uh, what am I gotten myself into?" Right. But you know wow. what it was. Right, they want it's a song. This is oh oh snap okay uh, right. <laughs> this is a song called Kukeba. Oh, we had right. your reaction right. right? Yeah. <laughs> so right, and that I I I vividly remember that. Oh, yeah. But you know, funny. living in the Caribbean, we I, I, the only song that I knew by Eric Clapton was "I Shot the Sheriff." Right, oh, right, yeah. right. But you know, cocaine. So uh, yeah, that was that was eye opening. So I started gigging and then started traveling. So that gig left led to another gig, and I just started gigging and traveling and playing with bands and just traveling, man. Meeting people. Yeah. So in that first gig, did you know a lot of the music already? Like no, you had no, no. preparation. I think I know like I knew like two songs. So how did you kind of just fake it till you made it? Yeah. Well, the thing is, they would they would kind of 
just before the sound check and in the dressing room, they'll play the songs for me. And, I, you know, so I know the key. I have my set list. Yeah. And they'll sing it a little bit. And I, I mean, I, I'm a, I was a keyboard player. Right, so right. I could, you yeah, know, bigger. I could fake my way, just play just a little after. Yeah, yeah, yeah You yeah. know what I mean? Just move around. And I did it. And then they called me for more gigs. So definitely. <laughs> you know? There you go. So Clearly. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty much an eye-opening and wonderful experience. Wow. That's amazing. And then, so from there, I mean, we can't talk through your whole career because we'll probably be here for a couple of days. But how did you get into working with artists, um, not on the live front, but in the studio? Yeah. Well, that was something that I, 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 I remember buying a thing called a Poto Studio. And it's a Tascam four-track cassette oh wow right it's a four track right because a cassette mm -hmm. has four tracks yeah but it's two tracks going this way two tracks going that way but what tascam wow. did is they took the two tracks and they all were going one way mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so it was a cassette and um you know i anybody who wanted to do a, a demo i'm in, I'm in my bedroom <laughs> downtown and ah. you know people will come over and i remember doing a doing a song for pretty well-known artist and um i did it and i mixed it and he put it out and i was playing on chfi man right wow. right, right. you mix it yourself too yeah i just yeah. mixed it on a four track cassette wow <laughs> right yeah and he cued it put it on a <laughs> the beatles made sergeant pepper on a four track yeah yeah wow yeah so you know that's where it started. It yeah. started there, you know, and 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 any any anybody who wanted to um, to record, I I you know offer my services, and you know this person tells that person, and that person tells that person, and all of a mm. sudden I'm you know people want to record. I'm not charging them. I just I'm doing it because I love it. Right, right. Wow. You know. Okay. And then um, eventually I started playing with a band um, called Age of Reason, and that's with Washington Savage. I don't know if you guys know Washington. Washington's a piano player, but he passed away. Okay. okay. Uh, Washington, Ettrick, Julian Brown, and my brother, Johnny Bullen. And we started playing. And so now I'm starting to record the band now. So okay. I'm recording all these things on four-track cassettes, right? <laughs> wow. Trying to figure out ways of recording and bouncing and putting it back in and just doing wow. all of that. And and then we got deals. We got what we call demo deals. Right. You know, so, you know, I remember CBS gave us like $40,000 to do three songs right? demo nice. deals yeah. and and we didn't have to pay it back if they if they took it then they will they will get the money to do the next record so back in the day we got all these demo deals mca gave us another thirty thousand dollars to do a right you know three songs mm -hmm. you know if the only way the only time we'll pay it back is if another record pick our next record company picks it up and gives us an advance then we pay them back mm -hmm. oh, so right, okay. we were getting demo deals like like crazy wow. you know so i started recording you know bands and then bands would, you know the guys would bring their friends and then they have their own little project and wow. eventually um you know some projects got signed to major deals and unfortunately because i did the demos i wanted to produce it but I, I wasn't well known, so they wouldn't let me produce it. Right. They, wow. They'd get a, yeah. a name producer, so I'd start working with these, you know, big name producers, mm -hmm. you know, and and learning from them as well too, you know. And just I just wanted to be in the studio, you know. Right. Yeah. 
you know, 48 input. So I worked uh, at Metalworks, at Phase One, mm-hmm. all, all those studios with those guys, you know. Right. Like, I remember doing a lot of work with a, a guy by the name of Dave Tyson. I don't know if you guys know Dave Tyson. No, who's that? Like, Dave Tyson is the guy who produced, I mean, he produced a lot of records, but his one of his biggest records is Black Velvet. You know the song? Black Velvet. For Alana Miles. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he produced Amanda Marshall as well, too. Which, right, yeah. Right? Mm, yeah. So okay. those, those are big records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So myself and Dave started doing a lot of work. Okay. I, like, because... He, I, one of the artists that I got that got signed, um, you know, the record company asked Dave to do it because Dave has a track record. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the back and just watching Dave and saying, "Oh, do you do that?" And then asking the engineer, "How do you, you, you get that sound? Yeah. How do you get this?" And oh, yeah, you know, so you kind of just pick up things like that. Yeah. And eventually, you know, you do that for a while and you get one song on an album. Yeah, you know, and you get two songs, and then you get four songs. And then they say, okay, let Eddie produce the whole record. Is that around the time that Thunderdome sounds came? Yeah, yeah. 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 I I am um, I you know, people just started trusting me more and and then they you know, they they you know, they, I'd get a budget, I'd, yeah. mm-hmm. I'd submit a budget and you know. And then sometimes I with Thunderdome sounds, it, it, a lot of times <laughs> I'd have people on on um sort of of you know i do the record and they'll sell the cds and then they'll come and pay me so you know i had i had kunk's receivable department (laughs) (laughs) you know because a lot of people didn't have the upfront money yeah upfront money so i'd make this these deals with them you know and so every week they'll bring you know two three hundred dollars to me you know so they just go through and 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 i and and so i built a i built a studio in my house. Actually, I had two studios in in my basement. Oh, did you really? Yeah. So I had an engineer working in in one, and I was working in the next. And we'd go vice versa, you know. Wow. So I'm doing a mix, and he's tracking. And right. Yeah, man. I I did a lot of work in my in my basement. My wife wasn't happy at the time because <laughs> the laundry room had to get moved. <laughs> got moved. <laughs> she went away on vacation, right? Oh, and took advantage. I'm like, babe, you go on vacation. And I, go, I, just, I just got in the basement, moved the laundry room. Wow. She had no idea. She came back. She came to Lauren, like, there's a studio in there now. Oh, no. What did you have in the studio? Um, I, I had soundtracks uh, boards, two solo solos. Uh, 32 and a 24 track mm. with uh, DA, DA88 at the time. You know, I could... Yeah, the precursor to whatever Pro Tools uses now. Right, oh. right. And I was, was using... a while ago, yeah. Yeah, I was using... Well, I still use um, Steinberg. Steinberg. I, I started with mm-hmm. Steinberg. I mean, you know, back in the day, and Q, yeah. which is Cubase. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I used to beta test for them and they, they had a Cubase oh. club and, you know, the, the guy who actually... Um, who introduced Cubase to North America is a really good friend of mine, um, uh, Ray Ray Williams. He has a mm-hmm. company called Music Marketing. I remember walk, Ray used to work at Steve's. He was in the keyboard department, and he, mm-hmm. you know, I remember walking in and he says, "You know, these guys want me to represent them." You know, Steinberg. I'm like, "Yeah, you better do it," because I'm we. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Ray's still running the show. Yeah, and they're from Toronto. How weird is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like so you know, and when. Yeah, when Ray would like they do demos, it'll always be at my place. You know, he, they have no money; they want to help the market and promote. <laughs> I want, I want a free Steinberg um, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Just thing. Sense. I'm like, yo, let's. So you know, we all helped each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, there's another friend of mine, Mishka, who, who's he's a um, he's now a he works with he, he did Michael Jackson's record and Britney Spears and all that. So he used to be with us and wow. work as yeah. you know as a singer and producer as well. Doing so. Can I ask a bit more about your production? So Certainly. Produ- like some jobs are easier to define in a job like a film director or a producer can vary. Some people are very technical. Some people, um, you know, do a lot of the writing. Some producers don't do any of the writing. What kind of style of producers were you? How involved were you? Were you more involved? It sounds like you're more involved with the engineering as well. Um, or were you more involved with the psychology of the artist? Or what was kind of your general approach? I think it was all of, all of the above because I came from it as a as a as a musician, mm-hmm. right? So I'm I'm primarily a musician, yeah. but um, I, again, it's not by design. I just needed to get the sound that I wanted, and I remember working really hard with studios, and you know we'll record it and we'll do the mix, and the mix will just never be right. What you wanted, right? Yeah, where I wanted it, yeah, yeah. you know. And so we have to go back in and pay the studio. And um, so I learned from a lot of the engineers. Like, for example, a guy that I learned a lot from is a guy by the name of Peter Lee. I don't know if you know. Mm-hmm. Right? So Peter's a dear friend of mine. So And he's one of the guys who taught a lot of, lot of engineers in the, in the right. city. So I, I learned. I mean, I speak to Peter almost every week, every day, you know, we, wow. we speak to each other. Wow. Um, with regards to um, being... Um, an engineer as well too that sort of came after uh, uh, being somebody who can arrange being a composer um, mm-hmm. being somebody who can direct the artist you know if there's a, if there's if it's an instrumentalist or if it's a vocalist I could based on their ability I try not to to um, have them do things that is unattainable you know For because them, some artists yeah. would listen to Whitney Houston, and they, and they want to do that, but <laughs> the they, they can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have to make sure that they understand that, and I, I, the material, they it fits them like a glove, you know. And I don't want them, and I don't want my production to. I, I don't want anybody to say, well, why did he get her to do that? Listen, you know, she's she's reaching, and she can't reach the, yeah, the you yeah. know what I mean, or he is reaching. So. Um, yeah, I, in that respect, I, I try to make sure that it fits. And I try to make sure, too, that I don't put my mark on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to, mm-hmm. I have my signature, yeah. but I always try to make sure that the artists have their own. Um, I feel like more producers should hear this. Unique yeah, footprint uh, on the, yeah. on the but, album, yeah. You know, it, it's amazing that you don't try to push artists or that you try to manage their expectations, but do you have any, exa- I'm sure you do examples or stories about when an artist just couldn't get to do something and your technique to sort of get them in the zone or get them to understand what they need to do or get them comfortable? Yes, yeah. I mean, that happens a lot of, ta- a lot mm-hmm. of times. And it, it'll hap- it happened more in the sort of infancy of my my producing. Mm. Um, I, I, but what happens over time, you know, when you have a couple of hits, the artists tend to say, okay, well, you have hits, and if you say that, then... Yeah, they'll relinquish would, power to yeah, you. Yeah, more yeah. power. But, True. like, just to, 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 to um, answer your question, yes, there, there, there are times when... I I would suggest something to an artist and they would they don't want to do it and they they want to 
they want to do something that's um thing and i i and I, I try to work with them you know i i never try to sort of um sort of uh clamp down on them i try to work with what they're trying to do and what if they do want to do it but they can't is there something you can do to make people more comfortable and sort of accomplish a bit more than what they thought they could in the studio you know something to combat red light fever or any of that sort of situation yeah well i try to make them as comfortable as possible you know mm-hmm. like i mean it, it, a good example is like I, I mean, my kids were actors and they, they did movies a lot, right? Yeah. And I remember they'd go on set and they'd, they'd get pampered. Like, they'd, anything they want, they want M&Ms, they want, and these people are running around, <laughs> like, just to, yeah. to make sure that they were... Taken care of. Taken care of. Yeah. And, and I, I thought that was really cool, but the reason is, is to make sure that you're emotionally... Or in a good place. Right. So yeah. when you deliver your performance... You're good. Yeah, some people don't realize that why actors and singers sometimes seem like divas is because if they're a little miffed that day, it just won't come out as well. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. Even if it seems unfair. Yeah. Mm, true. I mean, and once once they finish, it's like get out. Right. Like the whole atmosphere just changed because yeah. they've got what they want, and you just need to leave. Right. Right. right? <laughs> so I like that. Right. <laughs> They don't. They don't care anymore. Yeah. Like my my sister will go. Wow, that's the thing. Like that. Wow. Cold. <laughs> right. Yeah. What a shit. So yeah. you get you get that. So, but what I try to do is is have that same kind of atmosphere in mm-hmm. the studio. You come in. You're relaxed. We talk. Mm-hmm. We get it. And I and I try to explain everything in detail and slowly, you know, have the artists understand that. But you have some artists that are they. They, this is what they want and this that's is what they it, do. Yeah. So sometimes I just go, okay, that's what you want. You have to live with it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Your name is going to be big on that record company. My name is going to be very small. And <laughs> nobody true. gives a shit about the person <laughs> in the small print. Does right? that concern you at all? Even the, the fact that your name is still there? Yeah, no, yeah, it does. But what I do is I, I said, okay, you want to? I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you over the edge. Right, it's a hard push. And then you go home and you listen to that. Yeah. And what happens is mm. sometimes it marinates after a while. Sleep you know, they, yeah. they'll a lot of times they'll come back and they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. Um, you know, I, I, I so <laughs> I want to point out that 28 years ago, whenever you do that, that was extra work. You had to make them. A listenable, something to take with them and listen. Yeah, right. You took that extra step. Yeah, just so they can marinate and and, and see Damn. that it doesn't work. Man. Yeah, because I, the thing is, once you plant that seed, they struggle with what they thought and what you think. Right. right? So True. that that kind of it goes back and forth, and most times, because sometimes if you don't let them do it, they they would they would go away thinking, you know, I could have done that, but. They, they didn't let me you. do it. Yeah. Right. So my my sort of rule of thumb is, okay, if you really want to do this, then let's go all the way. I'm turning the volume all the way up. Right. I'm right. overdoing it now. So you you live with that, <clears throat> and then most times we have a compromise, or they all come back and say, no, no, I, you know, do we have that old mix? It's just just leave that old mix. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, there's one client I have right now, and, and I have to do that. Oh, it still happens. all the time. Wow. Yeah, it still happens to this it day. Still happens. It's surprising. It's kind of part of the part of mm-hmm. the game, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because I mean, one of the things too is they're passionate about 
their work and the ideas that they have and what they want to accomplish, which right. is which is very admirable of them, mm-hmm. you know, yep. because an artist wants to be different from the other artists, right. right? They all want to be different. And you being the portal that they're jumping through, they want to make sure that you are on the same page with them and, right. you know, it's some kind of synergy. And um, that, um, you know, but sometimes they, they go rogue. And as a as an artist, uh, you know, as a producer, you, you like, listen, no, I mean, what you want to do here is cool, but that thing over there is not going to work. Have you ever and been I, wrong about I, something like that? Where you're adamantly insistent this won't work, and then they do it anyway, and it becomes a hit or something. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's one. There's a song that there was a. It's just the way that person was pronouncing, not in the hook, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> never forget. <laughs> you know who was on that session? Divine was on that session. Uh-huh. She was. She was doing backgrounds, and she was laughing and laughing and just. And I'm like, listen, I'm trying to get this artist to do this. Yeah. And I remember she, I finally got her to do it. And she listened to it and she goes, I don't like it. I like it. <laughs> and I was like, yo. She was right. pronouncing a word different? Yeah. Okay. Right? You know, and, and this was in a chorus. It was happening every time. Mm. And I'm like, no, it just, it just, yeah, it just, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. You know? Song was a hit. Wow. Song was a hit. Wow. People but are coming saying, "Listen, you see that song there? I want one just like that." <laughs> like, because okay. of that word. But that's rare. Most that's of the time, rare. Okay. that's rare. That's rare. Wow. So when cool. when you're dealing with those types of situations, it's one thing when you're dealing with just a regular artist. What is that like now dealing with your children? Because I know they have been heavily influenced from your musical experiences as well. Have you done any production? I'm obviously you've done production with them. What is that like when you have those conversations with your children? Because it's kind of different. Obviously you really care about their name going on the product. Have you ever had to have those conversations with them? Yeah. Well, yeah, especially my oldest son, Quincy. Um, I mean, I was, I was, pretty determined that he's going to be a musician <laughs> like there's no doubt in my mind i mean i was like thunder dad um what made you so um sure that quincy as opposed to trey it's trey right trey yeah. michael uh, what well, made you so sure about uh, well quincy, quincy was older he was he was so born first. first and he's four and a, i'm almost five years older than trey okay mm-hmm. so usually your firstborn really gets the wrath of you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of you know, you want it, you want that child to change the world. You want him to, to be the president of the United right, States. Right. You want you, you know every <laughs> right. firstborn gets it, right? Yeah. And then by the second or the third, it's like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> just stay alive and be safe, yeah, because you've had it. Oh, right? So, and I'm no different. I, you know, <laughs> my child is yeah. born, yeah. and I'm like, you're going to be amazing, right? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I am, I am on him, on him, man. Like, yo, he, I'm like, you got to practice. Yeah. Yeah. Two hours a day. I'm waking up five o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this, this is, no this joke. Is, you know, like, I mean, you're driving in a car. He, he can't play video games. He can't listen to me. Okay. What's the key? What's the, that key? What's the changes in that song? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm on it. Wow. You know what I mean? yeah. <clears throat> and, but I knew um, from my experience that. That wasn't gonna work. No, it works up <laughs> until a point. To a okay, point. Right, 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 okay. right. Yep. Yep. There's a point in a child's life when 
you are Superman. Yeah. My dad oh, yeah. could beat your dad. My dad could drive faster than your oh, dad. Yeah. My dad, right? Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's the point. You start putting all that stuff in because you are the greatest person. Right. Small, right? Yeah. When they get to 12, 13, 14 years, they don't want to hang out with you. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to hang out with you. You're not cool anymore. By, by the 17, shoot. That's it. Can't even talk to them. They're yeah. in a the room. They're yeah. not coming out, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all, we all, we all sort of done that to our parents. Yeah, right. No, right. So that's a trajectory. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I made sure I, I, I did that. And when they got to those stages where those transition happened, I had to figure out ways of fueling their that direction. So what I did with my sons is I got him um, friends who were like-minded and musicians as uh, well too. Right. So when he was 12, 13 years old, he was playing with kids 13, 12. How do you do that? How do you influence your kid on what kind of friends they make at that age? Well, I, I made sure that I I found the friends, right? So I went to, the, there were a couple of parents who had kids who were playing music at a, at a high level. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, we're going we're gonna to put a, a group together. Mm-hmm. So we put this yeah. group together. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we started getting gigs for them. And they're getting more money than I would get for a gig. And they're bonding that'll, that'll at the same time. They're bonding. Yeah. They're playing their video games in the back. Yeah. Right? They go out, they do that. the gig, 20 minutes, they make two grand. Yeah. The next day they go buy shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yo, <laughs> this, this works. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so when I call a practice, now, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. No Gotta problem. get that video game money. Because <laughs> that gig's over there is playing 1,500 bucks. You're yeah. playing 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. They are, they no are on. Yeah. Right? So that now fuel them. And they all... T- today, they all are high-level musicians. Like, there's so a guy when, when did you get the moment, though, like you were saying early, that you were like, what age do you think it was? When, was it 12, 13, when you're like, I got to let go. I got to take yeah. a couple steps back? Yeah. And because then- you, you've put all of that stuff in there. So now I, I have to step back and I have to know, um, surround him with an environment, mm-hmm. yeah. right, that will fuel this. So that's kind of... What I did, it's I turned him with an environment that fueled it, yeah. and um, and and just kind of did that, and just kind of stepped back. The only time I stepped in is if you know I can, you know, you can see something going awry, awry, yeah, and, yeah. and you sort of step in and you kind of nudge it in, but and then you, you step back again, and and as it goes, you step back, and I there's a point when I mean even now I say I'm not giving you advice, right? I'm giving you my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You make the decision because so, you have to live with it. Wow. Does he ask for a lot as far as uh, producing advice? Because I know he's, he's heavily yeah. into producing yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have discussions of producing, yeah. you know, and, and, but he'd, he'd ask. Right. You don't. I'm not, I'm not preaching to him. You know, sometimes yeah. I hear him doing something and I'm like, go ahead. Yeah. Do you find that there are, having a, a, a son producing, do you find that? the job of production is different? Are there new roles or have some roles been removed? How is it different from when you were that Yeah, age? I mean, it's, 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 it's easier now. Mm-hmm. Everything, you could just search it up on YouTube. Right, true. You know, back in the day, you know, it's trial and error, right? I hope I, you know the right guy to ask the right well, question. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you just start trying to figure it out by yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? But now... You, you want to figure out something, you just go to YouTube. Somebody's doing a tutorial on it. Right, so true. Yeah. There's a, there's, that, I think, is it's a lot more, it's a lot easier now for young people to get involved, you know? True, However, yeah. there are some things which is historical, right? 
that a, a lot of young producers don't have. For example, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> People say 808, right? Mm-hmm, when, right. when I say 808, what do, you, what, what do you think of? People think of a kick drum. Kick drum, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right? And it's not, it's really not always this. It's a drum machine. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Call so it, it was used for right? like electro and stuff before it got popular with hip hop. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's the historical um, aspect of the music business that I find right now that I find people don't Get have. Lost, they don't, yeah. they don't, oh, they don't right. have that. They don't know where it came from. Even you know samples I mean? that. A lot of hip hop artists use they don't understand the origin of where that sample even came from. No, and that yeah, I, I totally understand what you're you saying. Know, and yeah, even even you know, eight oh eight. It's like the Lindrum. There's another thing called a Lindrum. Mm-hmm. The Lindrum came in. People used to use the eight oh eight. Yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't real. The right. Lindrum came in, and everybody said eight oh eight. Yeah, it's through that way. We want a Lindrum because it sounded more like real drums right mm-hmm. you know the samples were amazing they just popped so mm-hmm. everybody was just throwing away the 808 so the hip-hop guys they are guys who get that and they know trying to work this thing and it's like the james brown samples you know the, you, the reason for the reason that, that that happened that was a demo on a machine called the emulator there's, oh. a mach- there's a sampler called the emulator. Okay. That thing was almost $15,000 for a, a little sampler, wow. right? And the, what they use is they, they use James Brown, I feel good, mm. as the as the, samp- as the demo. So yeah. we used to go in the store and then did you hit it? And it goes, ow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ow, ow! Right? Yeah, yeah. Hip-hop. Right, yeah. It's just a rap over it. Right, right. So... You know, what I mean, it's so for mm. me. It's, a, it's sometimes it's just kind of getting that to the, you could understand where, like where you are. You know, it's right, kind of yeah, a historical um, journey trajectory. Yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah, get yeah. to that point for sure. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like so. F- as far as Quincy goes, it sounds like you've come full circle from yeah. kind of having to lean back and let him do his own thing, and now you guys are have been on the road doing your dueling piano show. Yeah, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, um, one one of the records that was very instrumental for me is a record by Herbie Hancock and Chicoria. It's called An Evening with mm-hmm. Chicoria and Herbie Hancock, yeah. right? Put two pianos together. I remember listening to those things and just loving that record. And I'm like, one of these days, I'd love to do a performance with a piano player, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was my thought. You no, know, move forward. My son, I... You know, I've been, you know, on him, you know, playing piano and and all of a sudden he can play. Yeah. yeah. So really play. I decided, okay, this is my chance to do my evening with Chikuri and Herbie Hancock. Mm-hmm. So yeah. here comes yeah. my son and myself. So that's kind of the genesis of that. Mm-hmm. And and the comp- there's a no so the component that I add to it is our relationship. Like what our relationship was from his point of view mm-hmm. and what the relationship is from my point of view. Right. And there's, the songs add is, is a backdrop to that dialogue. So if you see that show, it's a, there's a bit of dialogue in that show before every song. So mm. when we preface the song, we say, for example, I'd say, um, uh, Oscar Peterson, we do Oscar Peterson. Song. So we pay homage to Oscar Peterson because he's Canadian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
Quincy had an opportunity to play for Oscar wow. at one point. You know, so yeah, yeah. Um, so we talk about that, and then we talk about, for example, there's another part in the show that we talk about. Uh, Quincy bringing a song, which happened. He brought brought a song to me, and he says, "Dad, check the song. It's a great song, right?" I listened to the song. It's a it's a sample from a, 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 a Herb Alpert album called Rise, right? Right. Mm. That P Diddy did. did. Mm. Hey, Biggie, 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 can't you, you see? Oh, yeah. right? Sometimes you that's, a, that's an old song. No, he thinks it's a new song. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're still standing on our shoulders. Yeah, that oh, yeah. right. Yeah, that so, happens so much with hip hop. The kids don't really understand the no, original no. of the song, and I've done the journey of trying to go back and listen. Even Lucifer by Jay Z, right. I listened to. Um, uh, who sings it? Max Romeo. Yeah, and I I couldn't believe that that little spot. Like you have to listen to the music to catch the little sample that a lot of people use in hip hop. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's yeah. so many jazz songs. There's a song called "In a Sentimental Mood" mm -hmm. by John Coltrane. Crazy little song. Common mm. sample that. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. That's so many sentimental yeah, mood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So, for example, when we when we'll do that in the, in the, with the audience, all the younger people would would um, scream out PDD and all the older <laughs> oh, people. Yeah. Right? So it's interactive. So that's yeah. kind of the, the the show with with that and um and so that is a bonding experience for for my son and myself. Can imagine, you yeah. know, I love it. and he loves it. He absolutely loves it. I and mean, we we've done those shows all over the world, man. Yeah, you know, and we get the same response. There are two major responses that we get. One is somebody would come up and say, you know, I so regret not taking my piano lessons more <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. And the other is, um, you know, a couple would have a newborn and they go, you know, I was struggling to figure out how I should start my, my you know, offspring with piano lessons. No, I know exactly what to do. <laughs> just gotta just do it, you just know. Because it, some people yeah. saying, you know, I have to wait and I don't want to push. And, right. Yeah. But there's a point like that. You you do it. Right. Just do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, I totally understand what you're saying. I think to get you out on one last question, just as an accomplished artist, you've done so much. So much. In like, I mean, 30, 40 years of music. What? keeps you going what fuels your drive every day to continue to want to produce or play piano or just continue with music um well it, it's a love of it right you know i mean I've, I've never lost the love of it and um playing piano it's it's comforting and, and rewarding to me you know i i love yeah. playing my piano I, I mean after i'm in the studio all night i'll just go on my my piano and i'll sit on and i play for about an hour just for me Right, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. Occasionally, yeah. I'll, I'll put uh, Facebook live, live on, on yeah, and yeah. I'll just a little bit that you see people, uh, you know, um, and um, and I, I also like performing with my sons. You know that that's rewarding for me. Uh, in the studio, I mean, artists still want to work with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I get older artists as as well as younger artists who um, 
you know, ex- especially when I can give a little bit of historical content about the genre, genre that True. they're doing, yeah. and the style, I, I can just give them a little more background on it, so they they're able to sort of chisel exactly where they want to go, mm, and right. you know, so I'll ma- I'll make suggestions. I go, you know, you sound like that person, so you should go listen to that record. You wow. know, because that will give you some fuel and insight and yeah. ideas, yeah, you yeah. know, and go out and listen. You know, if you hear this person, you know, I remember there's a friend of mine, Jason, um, he was singing and I'm like, and he loved Brian McKnight, you know, mm. and I said, well, I, I know exactly the record that Brian McKnight listened to, right? And I said, go listen to Bobby Caldwell. And he listened to Bobby Caldwell and he was like, holy small, because the the first Brian McNack record, he kind of almost did the same thing. Yeah, you, you could know. The inspiration like, Mariah Carey, I know exactly which record she listened to. There's a record called Rejoice by The Emotions. Mm-hmm. So much so she wrote a song called Emotions. Right, right. Wow. That's incredible, it man. Is, yeah. Thank right. you so much. I, I hope we can get you to come back here one day and we can talk some more because you have so much <laughs> going on in your career. We yeah. could spend a whole week just doing a breakdown. But... Um, before we go, why don't you shout out your website and your social media so anyone can follow you after this conversation? Uh, EddieBullen.com is my website. Mm-hmm. Um, social media um, handle is uh, Instagram is uh, Bullen Eddie, and my Facebook is just Eddie Bullen. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, awesome. and yeah. I, have, awesome. I have a couple of albums out. Jazz yeah, album, shout out so. your new album, yeah, please. What's just, the latest yeah, one? Um, I, my, sure. my new record is called Kaleidoscope. And um, I think it's just, it just started uh, um, going up the charts on Billboard. Okay. Uh, it's number, uh, I think, uh, 78 or something like that on Billboard right now. So Great album. Great album. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and available? Actually, my, my record company, I, I signed a guy by a um, guitar player by the name of Jeremy Hector. Mm-hmm. And he just crossed two million streams on Spotify. Wow. So wow. that was pretty cool. And that your is, album's available yeah. on all the streams? Yeah, platforms? my album's available on all the okay. Spotify and all that. Incredible. Awesome. Yeah. Thank go you so much, right man. Go uh, we get to get back. Gonna go listen right now. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, thanks Appreciate for having you. me. I mean, anytime. Anytime you want to come Appreciate back. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye bye. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com Captivate today to start your free trial.